Good morning. This is a month often associated with gratitude in our culture. And while this is a good seasonal emphasis, we hope gratitude is a daily attitude. We are thankful to God for the spiritual blessings we have in Christ, the physical blessings that we have in abundance, and that we can assemble here on a regular basis to worship God on the first day of the week according to His Word. The question we've worked with all year, what do Christians do? And in response to that inquiry, we often turn to the New Testament epistles. And there isn't any doubt that those portions of the New Testament are informative, essential, and I'll take a passage from that section this morning. The premise of this entire series this year is that the book of Acts not only tells us how to become Christians, it tells us what Christians do. They praise God. They devote themselves to the teachings of the apostles. Christians preach the gospel, do good works, reason from the scriptures. And now we're going to add to this from Acts chapter 20, And verse 7, this statement. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Here's something that's been happening since the beginning. God gives man something to do that has spiritual value and assigned purpose. God says to man, do this for your good, for your spiritual health, for a good relationship with me and you will be blessed. But then men take what God said to do and either they ignore it or they change it and therefore fail to receive the divinely assigned benefit. And that's what happened to the church at Corinth. I'm turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in a moment I'm going to read 17 through 34 in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. God gave this memorial... For the first day of the week, the Lord's Supper. It was put in place by Christ. Clear instructions were given by Him and by the apostles. Followers of Christ were told by Christ, This do in remembrance of me. You can read that in Matthew and in Mark. But in the minds and hands of men it became something very different from what God intended. And Paul's writing about that to the Corinthians. And you're going to hear in what we read a tone of rebuke to correct the shameful abuse of the Lord's Supper in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 11, I'm starting at verse 17. 
But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given things, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Over the next few minutes, I'd like to highlight for us what emerges from the text. And the practical lessons we need will be embedded in the words we study from God given through Paul to the church at Corinth. When we come together, it should always be for the better and never for the worse. When you come here for the Lord's Day assemblies and for Bible classes Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, you want to be bettered by your presence here. I want assemblies like this to help me be the kind of person I'm called to be. You want to leave this place having been fed God's Word, having praised God, 
joined with others of like faith, remembering Christ. It is not just checking an event off your calendar or getting an award for perfect attendance. It is worshiping God in spirit and in truth, hearing His Word, singing praise to Him, praying, giving, and remembering who Jesus is and what He did for us. Churches all across the country have turned assemblies like this into something else. And they have turned toward the world. Social and entertainment events. Food and drink. Did you hear Paul say, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home? Churches today give financial advice and have seminars about economics and offer childcare and serve coffee in their assemblies and have bands on stage. May I say something simple? You can get help with your budget, purchase childcare and drink coffee and go to a concert without any attention to Jesus Christ and eternity. The New Testament teaches what assemblies of Christians should be like. And let me use this phrase right from the text in 1 Corinthians 11, spiritual betterment. We come here with intention to be spiritually better as a result of what we do here. Drinking coffee doesn't provide for my spiritual health. Eating a good meal strengthens the body but not necessarily the soul. So we must be clear. We come here with intention to be spiritually better as a result of what God says ought to occur in these assemblies. Corinth was a mess. And one evidence of it was Paul said, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. The elders of this church do not promise that everything people could imagine that they want, we will provide at this place in these assemblies. We make no such promise. What we promise is everything you need is directed by God. We will do our best to provide. So that when you leave this place, you are informed, motivated, equipped to do better in your relationship with God. I visited the Philippine Islands for a preaching trip in 1981. And their practice there is to mount a sign on the entrance to the meeting place and sometimes on the front of the speaker's stand and they take some phrase from Scripture, and in many of those villages way out in the jungle, there would be the sign for the better and not for the worse. Every time we come to this place to assemble, to worship, and sing, and give, and study, and take the Lord's Supper, we want it to be for the better. It's what Christians do. When men change what God has given, it's no longer what God intended. 
When men change what God has given, it's no longer what God intended. Listen to verse 20. Paul said to the church at Corinth, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. No matter what they called it, when they changed it, it was no longer the Lord's Supper. See, when men take something God has given and put their hands on it and apply their minds and their imagination to it and change it, it is no longer what God intended. For instance, in our preaching and teaching, God has said what He wants people to hear. He wants people to hear what's in this book. Men get up here and reason from scriptures and stress the authority of apostolic teaching. When men change that, it's no longer the Lord's work. It is the work of men. People in the church at Corinth knew what the Lord wanted in their worship. But Paul said that's not what they were doing. It was ruined, first of all, by conflict. It became a time to consume and indulge. I believe they knew what God expected. They just didn't take it seriously. And so in the middle of verse 27, there is that word, guilty. Guilty is charged. As an apostle of Christ, Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to pronounce them guilty. We need to be steadfast that what we do is the Lord's Supper, not our Supper. That we reflect on Christ's sacrifice. That we personally concentrate on what He suffered why he died, how God raised him from the dead, where he is now. If we change it, it is no longer the Lord's Supper. I saw this a few months ago in some reading I was doing and thought it well stated. When the church feels it must become like the world to win the world, it has not won the world, the world has won it. So true. Read and study and follow Scripture. It's what Christians do. The Lord's Supper, Paul says, is not to satisfy hunger. Paul said, take care of that at home. You just wonder, how could the members at Corinth have messed this up so badly? Well, perhaps the answer is given earlier back in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians Chapter 3 and verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. If you have the King James, the word is carnal. If you have the New International Version, people who are still worldly. If you are carnal, worldly, that means the physical is where you are centered. Let us eat, drink, and be merry. While eating is certainly legitimate, we must feed the body, but we can't get that mixed up with worship. The Lord's Supper is not about consuming food for the body. It's about remembering who gave His body. For us to get out of sin, 
and into fellowship with God. We approach the Lord's Supper with reverence. Hunger or appetite does not occur to us if we partake properly. We're honoring and remembering the one who provides our access to God. It's what Christians do. And so Jesus said, in remembrance of me. I want to point out how specific this is. The Lord's Supper is not the time when you go through a general recall or a memory exercise of everything in the Bible. This is very specific in remembrance of me. I want to explore that with you very carefully. There may be in our minds when we take the Lord's Supper just a mental picture of Jesus on the cross on a hill, witnesses nearby. Paintings and graphic depictions of the crucifixion that we've seen with our physical eyes may not serve us well when it comes to our remembrance when eating the Lord's Supper. It may, in fact, be hard not to form those mental pictures the artists have teased us with. A preacher was talking about this one time, and after his sermon, he was approached by one of the men who said, Preacher, I'm not sure I really understand what you're talking about. When taking the Lord's Supper, I've never formed a picture based on any artist's depiction of the crucifixion. I focus on who Jesus is and what he did for me. The man talking to the preacher was blind from birth. In this sense, he found an advantage having never seen any picture of the crucifixion. In remembrance of me came easy for this brother who had only heard and read about Jesus' death. Never a picture or a movie. Our thoughts need to go beyond the paintings of a scene to the person, the meaning the value of what Jesus did for us. What was it about? Who was that man on the cross? Why was he there? What does all of that mean to me now? And how am I going to live my life in view of that? And that leads us to this, self-examination. Let a person examine himself. Here's where we take this passage personal. What does the death of Christ mean to me? I've been baptized into Christ, but now today, what does the death of Christ mean to me in my mind and in my life? And the follow-up question is, does the death of Christ need to mean more to me today than it did yesterday? As I take the Lord's Supper week after week now for almost 60 years, Am I clearer in my remembrance than I was at first? I certainly hope so. I should be better at examining myself now compared to 1959. Let a person examine himself. 
self-examination ought to be a discipline that we get better at as the years go by. So that the Lord's Supper is never a routine ritual. It's what Christians do. And let me add, I must never use this occasion to examine others. I must always use it to examine myself, my relationship with God, made possible by the suffering and death of Christ. The Lord's Supper is part of what God has given to take my mind off of other things that might be legitimate before and after the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, I put one thing in my mind and keep it there. Jesus died for me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for me. As I partake of the Lord's Supper, I concentrate on what he did for me. It's what Christians do. And all the words and phrases that are stacked up one after the other in this passage convey that. Do this in remembrance of me. And then look at the word proclaim in verse 26. When we do this together, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then look at the word discerning. That's a mental discipline. It's recognizing what this is all about. It is a sober awareness of who he is and what he did. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, there's that word participation, sharing, or communion. Those are words designed to convey to us what ought to occupy our minds when we partake. It's what Christians do. In most 